morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to the Voice of the Valley. I am Jeremy Pinch, and across the table, this is becoming all too common. I have Pastor Rick Whitmer. I have no sound effects. I, <laughs> that's good. Well, when you had pointed it for, out last you, time that it was like the second for, week in a row. Yeah. I thought about it, but then I forgot to, to actually follow through. Well, I'm glad you didn't. And when you say too common, is that a, like, what's the message behind that? Because I, I know how I could interpret that. <laughs> too common is then, and in which case, if it's the way that I think you're saying it, um, good to see you too. And, <laughs> you know, you can always ask someone else on the show. So, no, but I mean, I have a good time. No, it's good to see you, man. It's good to see you too. Yeah, I have a good time. I enjoy it. I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm your co-host now. Well, I kind of feel like you could just be the host, and I can step away from this. Speaking of hosts, um, the best Oscar hosting performance I ever saw, and it was like twelve or thirteen years ago. It was Hugh Jackman. I think it was like the two thousand eight Oscar Awards, and he he did this number that he wrote where he actually performs a song that intersperses all the movies that were up for awards that night. And he is such an incredible performer. Yeah. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Man. You really like Hugh Jackman. And, but he was hosting that year. Yeah. And so I feel like if I were the, (laughs) I feel like like if I were the host, I would probably do more songs. Yeah. I could see that. So I could see that. (laughs) And sometimes when I host and do songs, like I did this, um, I was hosting the auction uh, back when it was at East Valley um, Elementary School, yeah. and and I wrote this song, a parody of U2's Elevation, which I'm a, I'm a U2 fan. I really like U2, and, and I have ever since high school, And uh, but I think I overestimated how many people were familiar with that song. So there was a disproportionate number of blank stares, <laughs> and it was super awkward, and you get into it, and you're like, hey... Uh, we've actually signed the paperwork here. Like, I have to, <laughs> I have to bring this thing all the way home. Yeah. But boy, I kind of wish I'd chosen a different song. Yeah. So, the old tugging at the shirt, like, ugh, yeah, tough crowd. And that's when you have to double down. Yeah. And you just go, almost, yeah. You know, I've I've started songs here at church, completely different environment, but I've started <laughs> songs. <laughs> just a little. I've. Uh, <laughs> I've started a few songs that I am, I'm, I don't know where I'm going with it. <laughs> like on, it's, on Sunday? Yeah. I've, I started a few songs that I'm like, I, I'm so far off. I don't know where I'm at and I have to figure, <laughs> I have to figure this out where I'm going. Um, and, uh, it's super awkward Jesus, and uncomfortable. Jesus, take the wheel. And it just like, <laughs> you get really hot and sweaty. Uh-huh. And yeah. Yep. So, wow. But completely different scenario from what you were performing yeah, just a little bit <laughs> just in the details yeah well on that note we're here to talk about divorce <laughs> yeah how do you how do you make a smooth transition I, I don't. You, you, you don't you almost have to d- just divorce yourself from the yeah. intro to, to get to that you really you see can. what i did there yeah I, yeah i saw that nice <laughs> nice super subtle yeah well rick these subjects uh, in the Sermon on the Mount are not easy. Yeah, we're over the hump, though. Yeah. I mean, like, this brings us over the hump yeah. after this, because it gets a little more, 
I mean, still hard, like hard hitting, but not as touchy as like divorce or adultery and lust. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy topics. Yeah. You were saying as you were prepping last week, um, to me that, uh, you couldn't find any, any of the church fathers and and some of the well-known pastors in in church history like ch spurgeon and Mm. um some of those guys that that they haven't even preached on on this subject on this well at least this passage this passage yeah and the only reason i mentioned that was because in in the logos uh software that we use um whenever you're studying a passage they they have in their passage got a category (sighs) of sermons from church history Mm -hmm. um that that are part of your logos package that um and even some contemporary preachers it just depends on what package you have and and in the package that i have um the reformed gold package which is (laughs) (laughs) well what i'm saying is it's not bronze right so it's not like oh great the guy has access to like two sermons um no, there, there, there were zero path. There were zero sermons that came up from John Chrysostom or Augustine or Spurgeon. You know, and I have all of Spurgeon's sermons that dealt with Matthew five thirty one through thirty two. Yeah. There's just were none, and that's not very common. There's always at least something. Sure, um, not a ton, but there's something. So maybe Spurgeon dealt with it. I don't know. Maybe he preached from Matthew nineteen. I didn't look that up, but yeah. As far as this particular two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't have anything. Yeah. In, and Martin Lloyd Jones, I was reading him, because he, he preached on it, um, and I and I was reading his sermon, his commentary on it, and and he said this is one that most preachers will just skip over. Hmm. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's felt the weight of it. Yeah. Well, and and you, I think you mentioned it several times during your sermon that there is there is a lot of disagreement between theologians. Yeah. And how to handle. There is. This and time. what I presented was um, the classic Reformed uh, view of this, mm-hmm. um, as presented in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, adultery and abandonment by an unbeliever are the two grounds yeah. for divorce and the only two grounds. Yeah. And that remarriage after those two grounds is always, um, it's assumed to be permissible. Mm. But yeah, it's hard because like John Piper would disagree with what I preached. Um, a well-known book on divorce and remarriage, Carl Laney, uh, the divorce myth, uh, says there's a, there's no grounds period, hmm. and gets into that. I obviously, don't agree with that, but you're right. When yeah. you get into that kind of disagreement, it can get pretty touchy. Yeah, yeah. Now, as you were preaching on Sunday. Uh, and you got on this this idea of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what would be the beginning stages of of reconciliation for for those who are divorced believers, two Christians who mm-hmm. divorce unlawfully, as you as you mentioned on Sunday. Um, what's the process like for for reconciliation? Yeah, it, and I'm assuming that <clears throat> your question would be the scenario where where neither of them had remarried. Correct, yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and I'm just thinking through, like, I'm like, what if I was counseling, you know, in that situ- that kind of a situation with one of them, and in neither of them had remarried, but one of them had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, mm-hmm. which in that situation would be out of bounds scripturally. Mm-hmm. 
And if and if that were the case, um, obviously, in order to to reconcile, there would have to be a breakup of a relationship. Right. That shouldn't be there. Right. That's not marriage. Right. In order to to reconcile, but um, I'm guessing that in that situation, um, husband former former husband and wife are not on speaking terms, or or if they are, um, that they're not hanging out much. <laughs> Sure. Because typically that that's sure. not the case. It usually ends because things are bad. Um, but if the process of reconciliation were to be pursued, the first step would, I think, have to be the personal acknowledgement and ownership and asking and truly seeking forgiveness for each person's part, each person's sin that led to the divorce. Mm-hmm. And so... And I'm trying to think through, like, realistically, what would that look like, you know? And so, and so, if I were, just for the sake of argument, if Jen and I were divorced, um, and neither of us remarried, and it wasn't because of adultery or abandonment, uh, I think it would have to look like me going to to Jen and and saying, "I've been, I have been, I have screwed up." so badly and I and I've been convicted you know by God that I these are the ways that I wronged you and I'm I am deeply sorry mm. and I know that it's caused you more pain than I can possibly you know put into words mm-hmm. and I, I just want to ask for your forgiveness for that mm-hmm. and and that's a vulnerable place to be forgiveness True forgiveness asking is always a vulnerable place to be because it puts the one asking for forgiveness um, at the other person's disposal. Yeah. Because forgiveness is um, the release of an offense, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. you are in debt to me because you sinned against me and I'm releasing you from that debt. That's what forgiveness is. And that comes with commitments. And if if one spouse were to do that um, and the other spouse is a believer then regardless of whether there's a restoration of the marriage, the other spouse is obligated as a Christian to forgive the other person. Hmm. So forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is never optional for a believer. Reconciliation sometimes is optional in the sense of restoring the relationship. Um, Because you can't very well have a, a remarriage with one willing partner. Sure. And the other one's not. Sure. And so that the Lord would have to be doing a work of forgiveness and restoration in both spouses' hearts. Yeah. But at a bare minimum, um, the spouse initiating that reconciliation, which hopefully, given the leadership mantle put on to a husband, would be the husband, the former the former husband, sure. um, needs to start with a full acknowledgement of sin, asking for forgiveness, period. No blame shifting. Own it. Yeah. And then express that desire to restore what never should have been dissolved. Yeah. Now, and, would you would you say that um, if if both are believers, one kind of comes to terms with, you know, what's happened. So in the case, you come forward and say, you know, I screwed up really bad. I want to work this out. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, no, is is that an issue on the other end? If it, if this is a claiming believer over here saying, no, I'm not going to work this out with you. Um, it, it very well could be. Okay. It very well could be. And, and probably is. 
But again, each situation is different. Sure. So we don't know what circumstances led to the divorce. But when Paul deals with that situation in 1 Corinthians 7, mm-hmm. what he says is, um, you know, if this divorce does happen, uh, what are his words? Um, he says, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, so acknowledging that sometimes those kind of sinful divorces do happen mm-hmm. with two believers, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. He doesn't come out so far as to say she has to be reconciled in sure. the marriage, but that would be a difficult situation where you where you now have two people who are single and they don't have the freedom not to be single. Yeah unless they're going to reconcile that marriage with each other. Yeah. Okay. And I think that adds a weight of gravity to Christians who might entertain the idea of divorce unlawfully. Yeah. Because if they want to continue following the Lord after that, it might mean something, a road they don't want to walk. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Oh, and I would emphasize counsel. Seeking the counsel of... Um, like a biblical counselor seeking the the counsel of the elders of the church in that because that's a huge that's a huge part of it yeah. and the power of God in those situations to transform hearts we can't really overestimate that yeah yeah and so it can happen otherwise yeah. it wouldn't be here in scripture sure sure so would you would you recommend in this situation would you recommend the elders being involved or is this just a um you know, you go see a biblical counselor and that's it. Is this well, a, is biblical this a... counselors always, by like by definition, biblical counseling happens in the church. Right. So you're not going to go find a biblical counseling, like you're not going to find a biblical counseling center, like an actual biblical counseling center. You'll find tons of Christian counseling centers, but that's a different thing sure. from biblical counseling. And that's its own podcast subject, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> That are that are operating outside of the bounds of a local church. Yeah. yeah. Very rarely. Yeah. Um, and even then we'll be under the accountability of local church elders. So the church will be involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this next question is actually um, a question that goes back to last week on, on marriage and singleness. But oh, okay. I think it also applies to to uh, divorce. Yeah. Um, so someone asked this question It says, if singleness and marriage are both gifts and one is not elevated over the other, what would you say the benefits and even the advantages are in remaining single? So that's both for the person who's a virgin, someone who's unmarried and a divorcee. Yeah. 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 And when you're using the term unmarried, I think you're talking about someone who was married and isn't anymore. Yeah. Um, who's not widowed because widow, you know, Paul actually uses all three of those terms in first Corinthians seven. Um, in verse eight, he says to the unmarried and the widows, I say, you know, that it is good for them to remain single as I am. And then, and then later in the chapter, he, he talks about virgins, um, and he says, now concerning, in our in our ESV, it says the betrothed, but the, the Greek word is virgins. And so you've got three different types of uh, single people. You have virgins who have never been married. You have the unmarried who, in that context of what Paul's saying, are most likely people who were married but aren't via divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, or and then, you've, and then you've got widows 
who whose marriage has ended through death. Yeah. All three of them are single. Yeah. And Paul talks to all three of them. And for all three of them, talking in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, I wish actually that that everybody were like I am. And what he's not doing there is he's not saying, um, I wish people would not get married anymore. Yeah. He obviously doesn't mean that yeah. because he has just said, if there's sexual temptation going and the desire um, to be married, they, they should marry. Yeah. You know, yeah. they should marry because that is a gift from God. In fact, it's going to be the norm. Very few people in the scope of the church are going to be single, like called to singleness. Right. And singleness is often misunderstood in the church. Um, a lot of times, <laughs> uh, it's it's number one, it's, put, it's disparaged as yeah. being some kind of a lesser status. And I sure. talked about that the past couple of weeks. And obviously, you can't read 1 Corinthians, in 7, 1 Corinthians 7 and come away with a conclusion that singleness is a lesser state of Christianity. Yeah. It, yeah, it may not be the norm, but it's not a lesser state. Yeah. So what are the advantages? Um, well, Paul, sa- Paul says here in verse um, 32 and through 35, I'll, I'll just read that passage. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Um, so right there, just some of the surface level gleanings on what are the benefits of singleness, freedom from anxiety, the, the kind of anxieties that come in marriage, yeah. such as, you know, a husband... Tr- you know, is anxious about how to please his wife. And depending on the wife, that can be pretty anxiety provoking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of not, I'm just being serious. Um, and then, as Tim Hawkins says, I'm just being serious. Uh, and then, and on the even worse, you know, the wife, how to please her husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there's a reality, right? So I go, I go to small groups and visit different small groups throughout the year because I, I'm the pastor who oversees small group ministries. Now, my experience in my own small group, which I host at my home, where my wife and my kids are, is a different experience than like the small group I went to last night, where um, where I don't have to I don't have to worry about where are my kids running off to. Sure, you know the person next to me is hey, where are the kids? You know what are they doing? You know, and that's just a a normal example, but it's that kind of thing that you can be free from in serving the Lord. Um, And it's not that those things are not devotion to the Lord. The Lord's glory is over all of that. Sure. You know, remember all this whole marriage and and children thing is, is meant to tell the picture of the gospel. And in order to tell the picture of the gospel through marriage, you actually have to have marriage. And if you have marriage, you got to have your, you know, most of the time going to have kids. Yeah. And when you care for them, as mundane as it is and non-glorious as it may seem, God's glory is shining through all of that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it grows people in ways that otherwise they probably wouldn't grow. And nevertheless, when someone finds themselves single, um, 
they're able to do things without having to worry about, well, is this going to work with the family schedule? Don't we need to be here? Don't we need to do this? Right. Hey, right. this mission trip is coming up. I want to go. I'm going to go. Yeah. I don't have to go home and consult. There's not going to be a back and forth about, well, but we just had you know the baby a year ago or whatever the case is. Yeah, yeah. Paul could go where he wanted, do what he wanted, and serve without worrying about, I got to be home by dinner. Yeah. That's a pretty significant freedom for somebody who's serving the Lord. And not just in professional ministry, as it were, but for anybody. Hey, someone needs something. I'm just go. Yeah. You know, I'm um, friends with and discipling a man in our church who's in that situation. And when he knows of a need, he just goes. Yeah. He wouldn't have that freedom the same way if... He were married. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, I don't know. Like, what are some of the ways that you think, I'm going to flip the question here for a moment and go, is because you work with students, you know, and, and you, all of them are single in the sense of not married. Yeah. Um, what are some misunderstandings you think are out there in the church regarding singleness? Um you don't got it like there's there's something wrong with you that's that's causing you to be single okay i think is is one of those things Mm -hmm. um uh singleness is frowned upon like the christian duty is to get married and to have kids um so if you don't do that then there must be something yeah i can see that you know Mm -hmm. totally um i think that's those are kind of common misconceptions in, in in the way i think about it is is there must be something wrong if you're if you're single, um, and it could that could be the case. You could be that could be the case, but um, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think the the idea that that if you're not married, it's it's like you're it's almost unbiblical. Right. Sure. Yeah, and that's clearly not true. Yeah. I think you're on something though. Um, there's a difference. Like not all singles are created equal. Yeah. Like they're not, all, or, or I should say, not all singleness is created equal. Sure. Um, the gift of celibacy, as it were, that Paul's talking about here in First Corinthians seven, is not something that all or even most singles have. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the hallmark of of singleness that is a, a pretty much a permanent or long-term situation. The kind that Paul says, "This I want you to be free from these anxieties and be securing your undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, he's not saying that married people are divided in their devotion to the Lord. He clearly doesn't, you know, he says in, in 1 Timothy uh, 5, younger widows, I want them to marry and bear mm. children. Mm. He commands that in, in 1 Timothy 5. Yeah. Because of certain temptations that were befalling younger widows in Ephesus. And obviously he's saying, you're going to serve the Lord better married and bearing children. But what he's saying here is if somebody has, here's the two hallmarks, contentment in their situation, in their singleness, um, and they're not facing um, overbearing sexual temptation. Yeah. Okay. There are a lot of singles who, who, who take a rash vow, and this is going to get, we'll get into this next week, you know, (laughs) 
they go to they hear a great preacher at some point and they go yes missions i'm going to be single i'm going to be i think amy carmichael's single wasn't she yeah yeah i think i'm going to be, i'm going to be amy carmichael i'm going to be single i'm going to go and i'm going to serve in missions yes i i fall i you know a few times a year i end up looking at porn because the flesh is strong, right? But I'm, I'm serving the Lord. That is not the gift of celibacy. Yeah. That's not the gift of singleness. Yeah. That's actually what Paul would say is the hallmark of you need to be seeking a spouse. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to keep that in mind because as we're counseling people regarding singleness and its values versus marriage and its values, we need to each of us know what, gift each is given sure it's singleness is not a teenager making a rash vow and falling into sin it's a it's somebody who is a circumspect thoughtful godly adult who's recognizing you know i don't have an overwhelming desire to be married and i'm not falling into sexual sin that god has given me some unique opportunities here and i think i'm going to ride this wave yeah yeah, and it's, I, I think it's important to realize that that's, that's a gift just as much as marriage is a Absolutely. gift. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. It's a gift. And Jesus says not all can receive this when he was talking with his disciples about marriage in Matthew 19. And then he, he gets into that kind of that, that weird verse in verse 12 in Matthew 19 where he starts talking about eunuchs. And we're just like, hold up. <laughs> hold the phone. Um, what's the eunuch situation? And and thankfully, Jesus is being metaphorical there. <laughs> He's being metaphorical. And he says, uh, he says, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, which he, he's talking about people who, you know, who can't have kids and are probably not going to be married because of a birth defect, hmm. a, a, a genital birth defect. Um, then there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. These are your captives carried off in war who are... Um, involuntarily eunuchized yes to everybody's dismay um and then and then they're forced into that because they're serving the king sure but then there, he says and this is where he gets metaphorical there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven in other words they're acting as if i mean they're single they're setting themselves apart as if they were eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven to devote hmm. themselves to that work hmm. anna the, the the widow, the old widow, praying day and night in the temple, who saw the Lord Jesus when he was born and, and held him in her arms. Hmm. She's the type of person that Paul has in mind when he says she wouldn't be able to do that. So she had been married, but then for most of her life, she lived as a widow, devoting herself to prayer. Hmm. Hmm. What a ministry. Yeah, yeah. Now, what if there's what if there's the case where somebody has been in multiple divorces, um, and they come to the point where they repent of their sin, um, from one to three divorces, whatever it may be. Sure. So they they come to repentance. They realize that what they've done is wrong. What is your counsel to that person? Do they go back to their first wife? or their first husband, or do they go back to the most recent wife? You know, what What would be the counsel for someone oh, like man. that? <laughs> That's a hardball question. <laughs> well, I don't know, man, that, because each situation is going to be different. Sure. 
right? And so there's the question of, so we go back to Deuteronomy 24, right? And and we see that, that there's a scenario kind of like that, where multiple divorces are involved. First first husband and, wife, and you know sends his wife away in divorce. She marries another guy. He sends her away in divorce, and she's forbidden from going back to her first husband. Um, that's part of the Mosaic covenant, mm-hmm. okay? And as New Covenant believers, we're not under that covenant anymore. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that all the things in that covenant aren't still, um, that there's, there aren't still things like the Ten Commandments, nine of which are still in force. Yeah. Because we don't, I, we don't believe that the Sabbath law is still in force yeah. um, on New Testament grounds. But that's something that's never intimated is part of the New Covenant is that divorce regulation. So we're dealing with our New Testament data, which is very sparse. We've got what, you know, the adultery and abandonment prohibitions or exceptions. Yeah. All other divorce is prohibited. Yeah. Um, we're not getting remarriage, you know, like I said on on Sunday, after a, a sinful divorce, which is the, the situation you're asking about, it's sometimes permitted when reconciliation is impossible. So first, I'd, I'd want to know, are your... Is there a particular former spouse that you want to go back to? <laughs> and and two, are they believers? Hmm. Are your are any of your former spouses believers? Are some of your former spouses remarried? Yeah. Is that gonna narrow the playing field a little bit, so yeah. to speak? Yeah. Um are they, you know, have any of them died? You know, these are the kind of questions that um help help a person figure out what even is within the bounds of God's will. And if, I I honestly don't know if it would, if it would be, I think each situation is so unique. I'm not sure how to answer the question beyond getting to some of those, here are the boundaries. Sure. You know, sure. You couldn't go back to any of your former spouses who wasn't a believer or who had remarried. Yeah. And I don't think that we're going to get, I mean, I personally don't lean toward taking Deuteronomy 24 and saying, you can't go back to any of the spouses before your last one, because that would be an abomination before the Lord, because I don't think we have enough data on why that's in the Mosaic Covenant. Right. But what we do know is that we're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. We're under the New Covenant. And there's nothing in the New Covenant that specifically prohibits going back to a former spouse after a divorce. I think we do the best in each situation under the counsel of the elders that we can based on the new, what Christ and Paul have said. Yeah. So this is this is a point where, I mean, you being an elder, this is where you're talking to, to the plurality of elders saying, what is our, what is our counsel to this man or this woman? What, how do we guide this yeah. person? Yeah. And we have the scriptures are sufficient. Yeah. We have everything we need in Scripture to to be able to move through each situation to the glory of God, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that all situations are equally clear. Right. And sometimes, and I just wish uh, Andy to know when he was an elder, he said, especially on the heels of COVID, I wish sometime we could just have a like a reality show called Elder Meetings, <laughs> where people could actually see how much agonizing there is with yeah. open Bibles over certain situations yeah. that just aren't easy yeah. or clear on this on the face of it how do we move forward here yeah. 
But we believe the Lord will be glorified as we go through that process. Sure. Sure. And gracious where we miss it. <laughs> so another hardball question for you. What if somebody is habitually addicted to pornography? Is is that grounds for divorce? Does that fall in line with sexual immorality? I mean, how does how does that work? Ooh, so it, w- it definitely wouldn't be under the normal usage of pornea, okay. the word that Christ uses for sexual immorality. Pornea, pornography. You can kind of see where we got that word, yeah. pornography. Yeah. There are situations with a spouse. Now, we're not talking, I'm going to just, easy answer. If there's a, a Christian husband or wife struggling with porn and they fall from time to time and they're under the, the oversight and presumably church discipline of their local church, that's not grounds for divorce. That's not in the normal usage of sexual immorality. There are, however, situations of unrepentant porn addiction where a husband is not acting as a husband to his wife or a father to his kids. It's infecting his job. He comes home, checks out, goes to the basement, and looks at porn for hours. He's not satisfying his wife sexually because he's finding his own satisfaction through looking at other women. Mm-hmm. That conceivably would be a ground, a basis on which I would not be uncomfortable saying that this this is within biblical bounds of abandonment mm. and sexual immorality. Because he's not being a husband, he's not being, he's not fulfilling his marriage covenant. He may be under the roof, but like abuse, like with, with unrepentant abuse, he's left the marriage. Yeah, and he's actively committing sexual immorality. Wayne Grudem makes that case in his his book that came out this year, Divorce and Remarriage. He gets into that scenario. Mm. But again, every situation of it is different, and porn generally doesn't fall within the bounds of what Christ meant. But applying what Christ meant to our day and age, where where pornography is significantly available yeah. and devastating in its effects, that's not off the table. Right. right. Yeah. This is not an easy discussion. Mm-mm. Not easy. Yeah. So... It's not uncommon for us nowadays to hear husbands and wives leaving their spouse for somebody of the same sex. Yeah. That's, it seems to be all too common nowadays. It happens. Happens happens. here. Yeah. In Yakima. For sure. I mean, yeah, it does. So what would be your counsel to those who are in this so-called same-sex marriage, um, but have realized their sin and what do they do? Are they, um, so is so, it a situation of a former marriage? So husband leaves his wife for another male. Okay. They get married, quote unquote, quote unquote. Um, the husband realizes that what he's doing in his lifestyle is wrong. And he he wants to figure things out. What does he do? Well, he asks forgiveness from his former wife. Absolutely. 
okay? Because he sinned against her. Yeah. Um, she, are they both believers for the case of our scenario? Well, I'm, I'm assuming he's becoming a believer yeah. now <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. because sure. believers don't divorce their wives and embrace homosexuality. Paul categorically says that unrepentant homosexuality means that you can without question say that somebody is not a Christian. Yeah. It's incompatible with the new birth. Right. But if this guy comes to faith and is now in Christ, he repents of homosexuality. He, he number one, he needs to get a legal divorce from his, the the not husband that he's legally married to in the eyes of the state of Washington, but not actually because that can't happen. Yeah. He's to take take care of the legal side. But you know, does he go back to his former wife? Well, biblically, she's under no obligation to take him back. Right. And there may be a whole slew of reasons that she shouldn't yeah, take him back. I could think of one. Such as STDs? Well, I'm just thinking she was left by a guy for another guy. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's not only adultery, but that's that's sexual immorality for sure yeah. of the most severe kind. Yeah. And she doesn't, I mean, the, if she remarries him, she's going to be at risk for some medical problems that she wouldn't be if she doesn't remarry him. Sure. And that's sure. pretty significant. Yeah, that yeah. needs to factor into it. Yeah. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't know. Again, that's a good, that's a situation where that's going to be unique um, to the circumstance. So for sure, he has to, even with same-sex attraction, which presumably he'll continue to struggle with, he needs to take hold of those desires at the heart level and submit under God, to, to God's, to the Holy Spirit's forming obedience of, of reshaping his desires. Mm-hmm. You know, and we actually have to realize that, and this is a huge debate right now in the, the broader evangelical world, same-sex attraction is not normal. That is only real in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. Um, and ideally, um, <laughs> attraction to someone of the opposite sex who's not your wife would also not happen. Mm-hmm. But we do live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And so we actually, it's not okay to simply say no to wrong desires. We actually have to prayerfully meditate on the truth and train ourselves to have right desires yeah. Yeah. right desires and he needs to do that this guy does yeah. yeah and i just don't know about it's going to depend on what his wife wants his former wife wants as far as moving forward with that because that's a severe situation yeah yeah these are as we've said multiple times already in this podcast not not easy things to work through yeah yeah. But, but God is gracious. Yeah. His mercy is more. I love that song. Yeah. His mercy is more than our sins. Yeah. And he casts nobody aside who comes to him. Yeah. So whether someone's in a deep porn addiction or same sex attracted or multiple sinful divorces, it doesn't it doesn't matter what the situation is. Yeah. The gospel is the gospel. Yeah. Jesus knew that. Sometimes we get into this habit, and I want to kind of end here. We get into this way of thinking that when we talk about these things that are like really heavy sins, you know, because not all sins are created equal either. All of them equally separate us from God. But from Genesis to Revelation, we realize that some sins have more profound effects of devastation than others. Sure. But even with the more devastating ones, even though all of them are 
very all sins are very serious and cost Christ his life. We think that with some of them, wow, we we bear we can never come out from under the shame of what we've done. Yeah. What we need to realize is that when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't paying for our sins in advance and then discovering what we would do. He he saw the itemized bill, yeah. as it were, and he knew. And that and he knew it before he said it is finished. Mm-hmm. So when we say Christ has made an end of all our sins, he's made an end of all of our particular sins. Yeah. And so sometimes we actually have to choose to act forgiven, even when we don't feel forgiven. Hmm. And when it comes to divorce and remarriage, sometimes that's a it's an obedience decision to act forgiven and refuse yeah. to dwell on the shame you feel. That's good. Because your feelings aren't the last word. Meditate on the gospel. Yeah. And God in his mercy will dissipate the shame. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. It's a great place to end. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Well, church, we hope that this has been helpful for you um, as you think through these things and study these subjects. Um, if you have any more questions, ask Rick. And you're fleeing the state, so you yeah, actually can I'm getting say that here, right man. now. You're going to be going on the student trip. Yeah. Yeah, leaving for Montana, man. Or ask Pastor John. Yeah. Not don't. not Schubert, he's on sabbatical. Ask uh, Pastor John. Piper. Piper. Yeah. Except with this subject, he'll probably disagree with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, church, we love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.